how, how many of you have a favorite place that you like to eat? Favorite place, favorite place. All right. How many of you like there's a special meal that your mom or your dad or someone in your family makes that like anything special goes down, you get that. Yeah. All right. What, what are some of your favorite places to eat? Where would you go if you got to pick your next meal at your favorite spot? Where would that be? Chick-fil-A. Come on now. All right. Chick-fil-A. Where? He said Chuck E. Cheese. Who would still go to Chuck E. Cheese? All right. I was, all right. He's excited. I think, why didn't you guys eat any of the hard-boiled eggs? That's what I want to know. I would have, was anybody tempted to like eat the hard-boiled eggs for a dollar? Would you dig them out of the trash for $2 and eat them now? For $2. Wow. There's always one in the crowd. Like for 50 cents, I believe you would have done it for 50 cents if I would have started for free. There we go. What about you? Where's your favorite places to eat? Sinzetti's. Oh, nice Italian spot. Well, anybody else in in the middle? Chipotle and Chick-fil-A. Even with salmonella, you still go to Chick-fil-A or Chipotle. All right. One of my favorite places to eat is Gojo's. Has anybody ever been to Gojo's? All right. If you've never been to Gojo's, you're missing out. One of the things I like about Gojo's, they have really good food. They cook it in front of you. It's like a hibachi deal, and they flip the shrimp into your mouth. It's really cool, except for if you miss. Because if you miss, that hot shrimp sometimes can hit you in the eyeball and things like that, which is really cool if it happens to somebody else. It's really funny then. It's not as funny if it hits you or goes in your nose and then in your mouth. Like, then you got no choice. You got to eat it anyways because it's in your – see, he understands. He's He knows my pain. So – you get to go to Gojo's. They cook the fruit in front of you. It's really cool. They do all these cool tricks. But the thing that I like, probably second best, because the food is really good. But another thing I like is you get, if you do this right, you get to fill up your whole table with, like, between 10 and 12 people. So you get to pick the people that go with you. So if it's your birthday or something like that, you get to pick the people that sit around your table. And I know that you guys have been talking about um, my kind of people. And so I was thinking, like, man... If I got to pick my table, what would my table look like? What would what would be the people that I would pick? How cool would it be to sit around a table with my favorite people? So do me a favor and just think about it for a second. Wh- who would be at your table? If you had one meal at your favorite place to celebrate something, who would be sitting there with you? Which friends, which family members, how would that look? See, because... Sometimes going to our our favorite place, like if you just go to Chick-fil-A by yourself, like, all right, it's just Chick-fil-A. But if you go to Chick-fil-A with five of your best friends, that place can turn into something special because of the people that you're with. Is it raining outside? Oh, I don't like the rain. So if this was the, your dinner, your meal, and let's, let's say for instance, like, how many of you have older brothers and sisters? Anybody have older brothers and sisters? All right. Some of you might have experienced this where they went away, college, military. Sometimes they just move. They, they become an adult and they get jobs and they move away. Or you've experienced things like that. And, and so you have one last meal together. One thing that you could do together. You got to share together. But what if, what if this was the last meal that you knew you would ever have? For whatever reason, you figured out, man, hey, look, I got a week to live my life. I got two years to live my life, and and then it's over. How would you live your life differently? How would that last week be different? How would the last meal that you ever had be different? See, that might change the, the game a little bit on who you would have that last meal with. I think you would invite people 
that meant the most to you. And probably as you're sitting around that room, you would try to make sure that some things happened that night, that the conversation you told them how much you love them. And not just, hey, you know, I, I really love you, but you begin to tell them reasons why. And, and not just I love you, but man, I love you because. And this is how much I love you. And, and after that would happen, for some of us, we would begin to tell people how much we believe in them. And we would thank them for stuff that they've done. We would show them gratitude. It wouldn't just be about hanging out that night. It wouldn't just be even about how much we love them, but you would want to encourage them and talk to them and tell them how great they are. You know how sometimes there's conversations we have with people and they see things in us that we can't see in ourselves. And this would be one of those moments for you to say something to someone that, man, maybe they, they hadn't heard. They haven't heard in a long time because they don't have anyone in their lives saying these things. And so imagine, if you will, all of those things are happening at a last meal or a last supper. Because as, as we get ready to, to hit Easter this coming Sunday, that's exactly what happened with Jesus and his disciples. You see, Jesus had been on the planet for 33 years. He got to hang out with, with 12 disciples for three years. They got to hang out together. They got to do different things. And when we find Jesus coming towards the end of his life, it says that he desired to have one last meal with them. That they had done all these cool things together. They had seen miracles happen. They had seen blind people that could see. People that couldn't walk since they were born, they began to walk. We, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know about you, but that would be one of the coolest and probably creepiest things to see at the same time. Because you know, as excited as you would have been about Lazarus raising from the dead, like if Theo went to go hug Lazarus, Lazarus stunk. But Theo would be excited, so it would be one of those weird, awkward hugs. Like you committed and you really decided at the end of it like it wasn't worth it. So you kind of alligator hugged him like this and moved on. But these guys experience all these crazy things, all of this cool stuff. Now, you know, there's 12 guys hanging out with Jesus. Fellas, there's some silly stuff that happens when we get together, right? Like, just watching YouTube was awesome. Like, it was, it was like none of us were in the room. Like, these dudes were just having fun. And that's what happened. So can you imagine, like, dude, when you popped him with the towel? Oh, my gosh. But you know stuff like that had to happen with Jesus and 12 other guys. You know they were hanging out, and you know that they would try to mess with Jesus. And can you imagine the look that Jesus would give them? Stop. And then they'd all straighten up and keep going. But they spent all this time with Jesus. And yet Jesus said, there's one last thing that we need to do. So they go into town, and this is Passover night or Passover week. Any, anybody know what the Passover was all about? Somebody remember in the Bible, think about Passover, Passover feast. Somebody help me. What was Passover about, my man? That's right. The angel of death went over all of Egypt, killed the firstborn, and ultimately that was the last thing that set the people of Israel free. So Passover is all about the sacrifice, people being free from bondage, being redeemed, being let go out of slavery, I don't think that that's a coincidence that that's when this last supper happens, that this is the moment when we find Jesus at the end of his road, at the end of his life. So he gets them all together in a room. And even the setup was cool. 
Jesus said, hey, go into town. Uh, when you see uh, this guy, he's going to have uh, this. You're going to see him here doing this. Just tell him I need a room, and he's going to do that. That, I mean, that'd be like you turn into your friend like, all right, tomorrow at school, you're going to find someone wearing a red shirt. You're going to tell them I need a dollar. They're going to give you that dollar. When they give you that dollar, you're going to go to the vending machine. The third thing from the back is going to fall magically out of the vending machine. You're going to bring it to me. Okay, okay. And then it happens. Like, how crazy would that be? So they're in this room, and Jesus begins the night by washing their feet, reminding them to serve and to love each other, telling them this, this will show people that you're my kind of people. If you can serve and love each other, people will look at you and know that you're my kind of people. And he begins the night like that. And he told them that this meal that they were having was a special meal. It was a meal that would last forever. A meal that was so much more than just what they were partaking in that night. It was a meal that Jesus said, I want you to do this over and over again. And every time you do it, I want you to remember this night. I want you to remember what's happening next. So then Jesus does this in Matthew 4, or I'm sorry, Mark 14. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, gave it to the disciples and said, take it. This is my body. And when he took the cup, he gave thanks and offered it to them. They all drank from it. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink the fruit of the wine again till I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And we're going to take communion here in a little bit. But don't do anything yet. I know it's tempting. Like once you get the stuff in your hands, it's like, eat me, drink me, eat me, drink me. Or you start playing these little mind games like, I wonder if I could. Don't do any of that. Like because one of you will end up spilling your juice or drinking your juice. And then you'll feel weird when we talk about it later. You'll be like, oh, but no one sees my juice that I drank. And you'll try to hide it. Don't do that. Let's talk a little bit about what we have in our hands. So first Jesus said, hey, here's the bread. Here's my body. This is given out for you. Why, thank you. This is his body given for us. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. See, here's the thing. As Jesus is going through this night, as he's giving these last few things to his disciples... Somebody had to pay the price for sin. Somebody had to get what was coming to them. Somebody had to be punished. Somebody had to pay the price. The the Bible says that there are wages for sin and it's death. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, look, here's my body. I'll take that. I know it's not mine. I know it's yours, but I'll take that. And he begins to carry the weight of all of the sin for every single one of us. You see, what's incredible about this moment is that none of what is getting ready to happen to Jesus was his fault. It was your fault. It was my fault. You see, every sin that we've committed, every time you lied so that you didn't get into trouble, Jesus felt that. Every time that I stole so that I could just have something for free. Jesus felt that. See, every sin that we've committed, Jesus took that and he felt it all. He felt every punch, every kick, every lash from that whip, every nail, every single sin landed on him 
for us. It was for you. And what's even amazing about this is the, the beating that he took, the blood that he shed, it wasn't just for sin. But Isaiah says that by those stripes, we're healed. We have the ability now to, to move past sickness. You see, in Jesus' time, a lot of sickness ended in death. A lot of sickness, if you broke your leg, there was, you were going to be crippled and paralyzed almost because there was no resetting, cast, anything like that. So Jesus said, I'll take the beating that will take care of every disease. And with every lash, with every lash, every ailment, every disease was handled and handed to him for us. It was all for us. Let's talk about the the juice, the wine real quick. See, Jesus said, hey, there's a new way now to God. And it starts with my blood. I don't know about you. If we were all there in the room, I don't know who's going to be the first person to be like, Jesus, I'll, I'll take a bite of your body. I'll take a sip of your blood. That'll be cool. I'll be the first one. I don't think anyone really got that. But in this moment, Jesus is saying this. The old way to get to God, no one ever really could do it. And you know what? The, the old way was crazy because God made an agreement with man and we kept messing that up. We couldn't fulfill all of the law. We couldn't fulfill all of the, the things that we wanted to and hoped to. We kept messing that up. Jesus said, man, I'll, I'll take care of that. You see, because the, the old way to get to God only pointed out our sins. That's all the law did. The law said you're a murderer. The law said you're an adulterer. The law said you're this, you're this, you're this. It didn't give you the power to get past any of that. It didn't help you to overcome it. It just said, okay, if you did that, then do these five things. And then after that, you'll be cleansed. Maybe if you don't do it again. Well, oh, you did it again. Okay. Now you got to go all over again. It never helped you to stop. It only pointed it out. Jesus said, I got this. Here's my blood. There's a new covenant. Now there's a new agreement and it's between God, the father and God, the son, and we'll seal it with my blood. And this blood will do what nothing else could. It will cleanse all the sin that you and I have ever committed, that we try to wipe off, that we, that we try to cover up. If, if I burned a cake, those cupcakes that we're going to eat, I'm going to eat one of them at least, for her birthday, what if they were all burnt? But what if we put really cool frosting on top of it? From the outside, it would look okay, right? But the minute you took a bite of that, you would know what? That cupcake was burned. And that's a lot of what we've done with our sin. We try to cover it up with good things and, oh, I'll do this now. And no one will know that it's burnt on the inside, but yet it's still burnt. And Jesus said, I'll take care of all of that. See, what we could never wipe away, Jesus said, I'll do. And he'll take away our sins simply because you ask. When you ask him without hesitation, he wipes your slate clean. Worship team, if you guys could come this direction. You see, what Jesus did, it has incredible power. It has power to change past, present, and future. You see, in, in this one instance, if I give my life to Christ, he wipes away all of my past. I get to start brand new. Because the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they get to start all over. Everything changes 
your past, the stuff that you came in with, the stuff that you carried in here with, the stuff that you think will be with you forever. Jesus says, I got that covered. All your past can be wiped away, which then now affects your present state. Your life now has meaning. That when you sing some of these songs about living and how much you love life and how much you love God, they can now be true because your present is changed. You now have hope. You now have a meaning. You now have purpose. And that changes your future. Ultimately, we get to go to heaven, but that isn't just the future that we can look at. I can look at my future with God a year from now and two years from now and the road that he's got paved out just for you. A future planned just for you. Over the next couple of minutes, as they get into their first worship song, I want you to take communion on your own. You can take it with a family member, a friend that's sitting next to you, or by yourself. But I want you to remember, sometimes we, we lose, I lose out when it's just, hey, do this, do this, and here's the little cup, and the styrofoam piece of bread is nasty, and you lose all of those pieces. But this was all done for you to change everything. So as the worship team sings this song, take communion and remember what Jesus did for us. So after the Last Supper, Jesus goes with his disciples to Gethsemane. And they're praying. Jesus gets betrayed by one of his closest friends. Anybody ever been betrayed by a friend? Maybe you told them something and then everyone found out they got mad at you. You see, there's nothing like being betrayed by someone that's close to you. So if you've been betrayed, know that Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. So they take Jesus into custody. They have these crazy fake trials. And now we find him at the cross. Now I want to explain something to you about the crucifixion. Like, see, Jesus was sentenced to die, but the crucifixion wasn't just a death sentence. It was one of the most humiliating ways that you can die. It was one of the most punishing and torturous ways that you can die. You see, the crucifixion was only for poor people and for criminals. It wasn't for your average person. We saved it. And so we find Jesus being beaten, led to the cross. Can, can you imagine this? Can you imagine having to dig the hole you're going to be buried in and lay down and someone put you in that hole? You had to dig that. That's what they did to Jesus. Carry the cross that we're going to hang you on. Take that up there, all the while displaying Jesus as a trophy. All of the people that hated Jesus, all of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, all of them got to look up at Jesus and say, there he is. We did that. He's a trophy now for me, put on display. I doubt as Jesus is hanging on the cross, hours of of being tortured, hours of hanging on that cross, I doubt many people recognized him. From the beating that he took, the blood that he lost, all of the weight of sin on him, I doubt many people recognized him at this point. This was a death that was supposed to last days. Days. 
Now, as we begin to think about Jesus giving up his life for us, the, the communion, the last supper table, some of us have a hard time putting ourselves in the middle of that. And feeling like that could be done for me. We sang a song about Jesus being a good, good father. And the minute the word father came out of our mouth, we disconnected from the song just a little bit. Because we don't know what a father's like. We don't know what a good father's like. And if God is a good father and I got to compare him to the father that I have, I don't believe that he's really a good father. Or maybe he's a good father to someone, but he doesn't love me. You see, some of us have a hard time as we begin to look at what Jesus gave up. We begin to think, man, that's, that's great for somebody else. But you don't know my story. You don't know how bad my life has been. I mean, you don't know how many times I've thought about ending it all. I made horrible decisions. The people that are supposed to love me the most left because they didn't want me. And I'm reminded every couple of days of how I'm a failure. How I'm not as good as my sister or my brother. How I can never quite measure up to anyone else's standards. So how can Jesus love me? How could he have done all this for me? My story isn't like everybody else's. You see, some of us look at ourselves as damaged goods that no one would possibly want, including God. So everything else is just for someone else. That freedom that you sing about, being alive, that, all that stuff that you sang earlier, man, that was great for someone else. Because I don't think that that's for me. But see, I think before Jesus died, before he gives up his life, he said a couple of things that I want to remind you about tonight. See, there was one conversation in particular that Jesus has on the cross. See, Jesus is hanging there and one of the ways that they were humiliating Jesus and taunting him was just saying, hey, you're the Savior, right? Come on down off the cross. I'll believe you then. Just, just climb on down. I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. And people begin to throw things at him and mock him over and over again, enough so that the two guys that were with him had a thief on each side. They began to mock him. Now, if it was me and you, we would have probably done exactly what they did. We would have said something like, Hey, 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 I'll believe in you. Get off the cross. Save yourself. Me too. Me too. Get me down. And then we can go. Then I'll follow you. I'll be the believer. I'll tell everyone about who you are. Hours and hours of all of this. And then something begins to happen. One of the thieves begins to have a change of heart. And as they're up there on the cross, I wonder what that would have been. You see, I wonder if, if it was maybe the amount of torture that Jesus endured. Maybe just looking at how much Jesus had been beaten and bruised. Maybe then he thought, this, something's different. Maybe it was hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Maybe it was the look that Jesus gave them, even as they mocked them. But he still looked at them like he loved them. But at some point, one of the thieves said, look, hey, the other thief is going at Jesus. He says, look, man, we're here because we're supposed to be here. We deserve everything that we're getting, but this guy, he doesn't. He doesn't deserve any of that. 
Then he says to Jesus, you know what? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. You see, those words, remember me, speak to the gravity for me of where this thief thought he was. See, he didn't say, hey, let me come with you. Because I don't think he felt like he could go. Okay, Jesus, I think there's a kingdom. And when you get there, it's going to be great. Think about me. Remember me. Hopefully, just as you walk in there, man, think of me. And maybe that'll do something for me, but probably not. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what I've done. I know what my life looks like. I know that there's nothing on the other side of this for me that's good. Some of that sounds an awful lot of like what we tell Jesus. I know forgiveness is there, but man, I can't. You can't really want to forgive me. You can't really want this. Don't you know how bad I am? Don't you know the choices that I've made? But then something happens that reminds us that we don't have to get everything right. We don't have to know everything. You don't have to, to know all of the Bible in and out in order to follow Christ. You just have to know who to go to. Because Jesus turns to this guy and he says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. In, in these words, Jesus reminds us that I got you. Before he left, he took time to have this conversation all to say, I got you, and I got you. And don't get so caught up in all of the right things and all of the right stuff and doing all of the right ways that you can get to know me because this guy is the last person that anyone would have ever picked to go to heaven. He didn't deserve it. He's hanging on the cross because he's a thief. And yet, he's the first one who gets to go. Think about that. The first person that gets to walk into eternity because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave was someone who didn't deserve it and couldn't possibly have earned it. It was a criminal that deserved death. That's what Jesus did because he's got us. There's no way that he can earn it. There's no way that he could measure up to the law in that moment and save himself. Jesus just turns to him and says, man, I got you. Not only do you get to go to heaven, but dude, I'll be standing right with you. I got you. So it doesn't matter what what you feel like you've done. It doesn't matter the stuff that you feel like separates you from God. He's got you. You see, literally, as this man's life is about to end, Jesus snatches him from the enemy And takes him into paradise. See, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you do next. It doesn't even matter the choices that you made today. It matters what choice you make now. And if it will be different. It doesn't matter the sin that you've brought in with you. It matters who you bring that sin to. Because you're Jesus' kind of people. He's got you. If you feel broken, he's got you. If you feel hurt, he's got you. If you feel lonely, he's got you. If you messed up huge in your life, he's got you. If you've made sin happen that people would be, you would be ashamed if people found out, that's all right, he's got you. When you feel alone, he's got you. 
He wants to give you life, to give you hope. He wants you to live a life that truly is worth living. Grace, if you'll come. Close your eyes for a moment. He's got you. You see, the last thing that Jesus said as he's hanging on the cross is, it is finished. See, so many times we think that it's about a list. If I can complete my list, if I do all of the the right things at the right time, if I pray a certain number of times a day for a certain amount of time, if I read my Bible, if I do all these things, then that makes me okay with Jesus. Or so many times we think that we got to get things together and then I can come to Jesus. And Jesus is simply saying with those three words, none of that matters. It is finished. I paid sin in full. I've taken care of all of the lists that you would ever think would bring you close to me. I got that covered. And not only did I got, do I have that, but man, I want you. You don't have to try and compare yourself to anyone else. You can stop beating yourself up for messing up as you tried to pray for 10 minutes, but you only made it three. None of that matters. What matters is that Jesus paid it all. What matters is that he's got you. But do you have him. What's your relationship with him like? Do you have one? Does he have your all? Are there things that you think that he doesn't know? The things that you're keeping from him, yeah, I'll give you most, but I'm going to keep 10% of what I want to do. He gave his all so that he could have all of you. If you're here tonight and you say, man, I need to fix my relationship with Jesus. I need to give him my all. I believe that he gave it all for me and I want to fix my relationship with him. If that's you, just put your hand up. We're going to pray with you in a couple of moments. I see that hand. I see those hands.